everyone. Welcome back to Setting the Table. Uh, this is episode three. Today we're going to be talking about feeding the body. I am Ellen Briggs and I'm here with... Mandy Norman. That's right. We're women like us. And um, we are doing this podcast, as you would have known if you've listened to the first two. We're informed by the Aust- Australasian Society of Lifestyle Medicine. It's very hard to say, Mandy. They're very important. Oh, they are. They're smart people. Uh, they're smart. And that's that's <laughs> <laughs> that's why we're getting um, Dr. Caroline West on I to know. chat to us in it each is, podcast. It's kind of great. Got, this is something I've always sort of wanted to do, which is try and demystify a lot of the the language and the ideas around weight for women because in our shows we see how it so negatively impacts on women's um, self-esteem, et cetera, and, yeah. and the kind of fight sometimes we have with our own bodies. So it's really great to get great information about how to change your behaviour, not to diet. And so speaking to Dr. Caroline West is amazing. And you would have seen her on Ask the Doctor in Catalyst. She's, you know, she's often on the project because she's a groovy doctor. Um, even the drum, she's, you know, you would have seen her years ago, probably on Beyond 2000. She's often on 60 Minutes and on Good Medicine. And so Dr. Caroline also works a lot still in practice in one-to-one consults, yeah. working with women specifically around these issues on on really guiding them towards changing their lifestyle habits for something that's going to be really sustaining for, for a long and healthy life. Yeah. Which it's is really, the, it's it's her passion, you know. She's the, she is the kind of well, that's great cause it's leading just, expert there's just in so that many, field. Like she every time it. you turn around, there's, there's so many fads about what you should eat and you should be doing this. And someone will say, I did this and this happened. And... I just get so bombarded that yeah. you don't understand. And you don't, in the end, like even understanding food, it's because, it shouldn't be complex, but, you know, you've got to read your food. Well, no. food Who is, ever thought you food had to read your food? different now, Mandy. I mean, <laughs> you know, 30, 40 years ago, nothing came in a packet. I know. Nothing came and in it, a packet. You didn't have an app. No. Like, I think that is one of the most astounding things. You know, my kids that live... Well, in Melbourne at the moment, of anyone who lives away, particularly younger generation, it's like they don't even shop anymore. They just have Uber Eats every night. What only the vegan um, cooks every night because she's because her being a vegan is such a conscious choice. She's absolutely conscious about what she eats, so she doesn't like takeaway food. But mm. the other kids are eating Uber all the time, and I just think that Uber Eats mentality is like the whole idea of of just being able to get a burger and chips to the house. You don't even go out to get the burger yeah, and chips. Yeah, I know. Well, I saw – I actually said to one of my, my sons the other night, there's, there was an ad on TV for – it was one of the pizza chains, you know, like Domino's or, I don't know, is Pizza Hut still yeah. a thing, whatever it was, and it had click and collect. So you can order it on the app and then be outside and let them know you're outside. You don't even have to get out of your car. Like, what have we become? I know, it's so lazy, isn't it? And it's you lose so lazy. Like, how do you, because you don't even know. Like, if you get something from Uber Eats, like, you know, you don't, and I just hate seeing those poor people on, oh, on bicycles. Well, do you remember, look, I've only ever, I've got Uber Eats once, and that was that time with you when we were in Adelaide <laughs> after our show. And remember we stayed in that, it was, it we was were scared. kind of a creepy, it was creepy. kind of um, place where we were staying. We were put up in this lovely Airbnb. The actual Airbnb was lovely, but it was in a, a pretty awful kind of complex, wasn't it? And there yeah, was, it was a lot weird of, area. Yeah. There was some kind of weird dudes around. And so we, we got back from our show and it was quite late and we were hungry and we called Uber Eats and this she was like an 18-year-old gorgeous young Brazilian backpacker. She's riding around the streets, you know, through really dodgy areas and I just felt like the most fat kind of overprivileged white 
woman, I, I felt terrible. I remember we gave her a massive tip. Yeah. You know, and, and then you see, you know, you feel bad, but then you see those exposés of hidden cameras of the Uber Eats, people sticking their fingers in your food on the way and having a bit of a go at it. And I go, you know what, go for it. Well, I mean, I guess where we live, where it, it's it's different where we live because we don't have Uber Eats. You know, we, we actually have to go out if we want takeaway. How often do you get takeaway? I would hardly ever. Yeah. And I think that's one of the good habits I have. Well, we don't we don't have the big chain takeaways here well, either, do we? We have a really good food culture where we live and Ellen and I live in the Byron Shire. We live in Mullumbimby, which is I think we have um, a really strong health food culture. And even though we're not strong health food people, it actually trickles down onto us. Like this whole region has been fighting to keep out, you know, the big kind of burger joint yeah. places. And it's because our cult, we have amazing farmer's market. We have incredible organic local produce. And I think, I actually think that really informs a generalised food culture, which means we wouldn't have takeaway because there's not that much takeaway. If you're going to go somewhere, ama- there's amazing places to eat here. You go out yeah. and have dinner. Yeah, yeah. It just, I don't even think of it. Like I never go, it, it doesn't, just doesn't enter my mind, oh, I'm too tired, I'll get takeaway tonight. When we were in lockdown, I actually got takeaway from um, the local hotel. Yeah. And that's, we. and I got it twice, like in that four months or something. And we probably would have gone out as a family twice in that four months and gone there and got those exact meals because we all know exactly what we love there. But you see, we're lucky because of choice. Because you know yeah. the times often when you and I are on the road, and we're going, there's nowhere to stop to eat no. except a big service station. And the only thing to choose is a is fast food. Yeah. And I'm gluten intolerant, so the, I can only eat a hash brown. There is nothing else I can have on the menu. And you do need to have something. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's the kind of stuff where you go, you know, some people don't have the choices that we have here as yeah. well. Yeah, but, you know, getting back to reading about your food, um. We never did that. You know, our food was always fresh, <laughs> wasn't it? Well, yeah, you didn't have a story on the no. side of the food about what had been added to it, what had been taken away from it. I mean, I guess we had, t- we, had tinned, <laughs> we had tinned vegetables and tinned fruit and that sort of stuff, didn't we, when we were younger? But I don't think those labels came in until much later. No. And who knows what those, you know, those labels are so confusing. You look at it because yeah. are you looking at the calories or are you looking at the fat or the carbohydrates or the sugars? It's true. You know, like it's really. I think we actually have both now. Like I think interestingly, I think we have access to some of the best food culture available because we have multicultural um, kind of community with incredible food um, choices yep. that are out there and, and ideas and our, our, the way we cook has changed and there's really great – we have great produce available in Australia. Um, well, most parts of Australia. Most parts of – some parts know. of Australia don't. Yeah. But in generally we have, we have good food um, but we also have the other – as yeah. well, we're sort of stuck between. Let's talk to Dr. Caroline about this because I think these, this is what this is the pointy end coming yeah. down to food choices and and do you read your food? I don't take my glasses to the supermarket that often. Just give her a little buzz. Yeah, let's call her. Yeah, because you have to. You know, I the writing on the stuff's really small. I think it's purposely small. Yeah, How they, they do it, it on big? purpose because it's probably. Hello. Hi, Dr. Caroline. Yes. It's Ellen and Mandy. Hello, How are Dr. you? Dr. Caroline. I'm well. Thank you. So we're ringing. We've just been having a little chat about about what to eat because this episode we're talking about feeding the body. And 
we were just talking about the very confusing information that we that we get around food. And I'd really love to talk to you about what we were talking about reading labels in the supermarket. Do you do you think that's important or do you think there's better ways to understand what to eat? Because if I had to read my way around it, it does make it a much longer experience. <laughs> yeah, there, there's certainly a few apps that can sometimes help with that process. But yeah, I agree that I think food labelling is never ideal and we, we don't yet have an easy system where you could look at the front and it has a traffic light system or something like that that goes green, go for your life, red, you know, eat, eat sparingly. So you have to turn it around. You have to work out how many serving sizes are included in the in the packet and and so forth. So it, it's worth still having a look and getting used to this sense of looking in particular at the column that has how much energy is in it, um, a food, and it will often be per serve. Um, and it, you could just have a quick look at the energy content in that quality quantity per serve, it's worth keeping in mind that a lot of stuff which is on the shelf, which is in a, a box or a pack, will have more than one serve in it. And yeah. what I'm finding is that when you go for a snack food, for example, where you just assume, oh, this would be one serve, and it might say on the front something like, you know, these vegetable chips, these beetroot chips are just 80 calories a serve, and you think, oh, great, that sounds pretty healthy. And then you flip it round and you see, oh, actually, there are seven and a half serves in this. In, in that this one packet yeah. of chips. One yeah, right. serve is two chips. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it can be quite um, – you, you do have to be a bit of a sleuth and, and, um, and flip it over and don't pay much attention to the big, bold stuff on the front of boxes because it will always be things like, you know, uh, fat-free. If I see that on one more bag of lollies, oh, I don't know. Does that really get that gets you know, goes, the fat? Because well, of course they don't have. It's full of sugar, so it's, it's not a healthy choice, but they've branded it as being, you know, um, it's a fat-free snack, and so somehow that's supposed to be good. So we're dealing with packaging that's all about selling you stuff. Yeah. It's not about your health. So you've got to go in with this mindset of I'm trying. they're trying to manipulate me here with colours and, and words that are going to entice me into purchasing this product um i see it a lot with kids foods as well that a parent will be bombarded with this messaging and they're in a rush and they're in that aisle and they're going oh what am i going to throw in the lunchbox i'll get these muesli bars for example or I'll buy these snack foods it says it's got lots of hot it's got lots of real fruit in it um and then you look at a sort of a box of muesli bars and very often they're they're not that much different they might have a bit more fiber but they're not that much different to a chocolate bar yeah. in terms of they're very high High in sugar, they've often got you know very little fiber, and um, they're not necessarily a healthy choice for every day. So, yeah, it's, it's tricky. Um, I mean, really, should we try to avoid processed foods where we can? That that was that's kind of something that I always try to do. You know, if it comes sort of out of a box or a, a jar or something, really try and limit the amount of that stuff that you have. In an ideal world, yeah, something's got a barcode on it, um, unless it's sort of um, snap frozen vegetables and fruit. You you often have to think what's gone into this. Um, and whole foods with diversity is probably the way to go. And when I'm thinking about, okay, well, how do I know if I've sort of got a roughly healthy kind of um, selection of meals? I just think of having that, we've talked about portion size, but having a small plate for each meal Um and having half of that plate always being fruit and vegetables of colour. Um, they don't have to be fresh. They could be frozen or 
Um, there are other ways to sort of have have fruit and vegetables. Sometimes in the tins they've added either salt or sugar, so that's not always the best way to eat fruit and vegetables. But yeah. a lot of the frozen options are really very healthy. Um, and so it's thinking about is this a whole food? You know, do I do I look at this and roughly know what's in it? Like if you look at a box and it's full of 25 ingredients and quite frankly you don't recognize any of them, it's probably full of, of the stuff like, you know, cheap vegetable oil, processed flours, sugars and fats um, and salt to make it taste good. And if you can't recognize those ingredients, you're probably um, going to have a less healthy choice. A lot of it's around yeah. habits and mm. marketing too, isn't it? Because I remember the way, like the older way of cooking of years ago was no one did anything too fancy. You had protein and then you had vegetables <laughs> and they sat beside each other in segments. But when they started yeah. to mix and mingle and they needed a sauce, you know, you know, you ha- that's where you have to become mindful about what, because it does make the food taste amazing, but about what's actually in that. Mm. Yeah, and I think we've got this this um, legacy at the moment of what we call ultra-processed foods, where everything's super kind of processed, you know, breads, cakes, cereals. Um, you know, even some of the vegan choices can be highly processed foods. So I think people sometimes are lulled into this sense of security going, well, I'm vegan, so if I eat a processed food in a box or a pack, uh, this is going to be a healthy choice. It's not always so. So um, we have to be mindful about how many of those foods we're eating. And, you know, so you, it's, so, it's so true, isn't it? You know, we used to eat in a more simple, simple way. Um, and I guess, you know, the great thing about modern life is that we can often have a lot of diversity if we look for it. So there's no shortage of choices to be to be had. Um, but if something's coming out of a packet and you can't recognise the ingredients, um, you, you're probably going to be wanting less of that. Yeah. And and there's yeah. also the conflicting sort of there's there's that thing on the back that says, you know, the the energy and the carbohydrates and everything that's in there and per serving. Mm. And then there's also this star rating thing on the front. And I remember being astounded at some, it was something like um, a box of rice bubbles and it had like a four-star rating out of five or something, you know, because I think it was low fat. Um, yeah, and and so that I think is really confusing for people too. If they're just looking at that star rating, you can be buying something that's incredibly high in sugar. Yeah. Exactly. And this has been a voluntary code. They're looking at changing it because what's happened is you've got these food, foods that are compared like with like. So... The, vegetable, the cereals would be the classic one. Now, cereals, um, we've been sort of sold this idea that it's a great way to start your day is to have a bowl of cereal. But the majority of cereals have shifted from just being something like plain oats um, with, with a bit of chopped fruit on the top, which would be a healthier choice, to really highly processed cereals that have not only a lot of sugar but quite a bit of salt in them. And they'll often have, oh, this is a four-star cereal. And that's because it's been included with the milk. So the milk is the thing that's really got the, the nutrients. And it's compared to other cereals and it, it's completely misleading. So parents in particular can be lulled into thinking, this is a four-star food for my child, this is healthier, um, I'll get this, and not be cognizant of the fact that it's got spoons and spoons of um, sugar per serve and no kid sticks to the serving size. Like, you know, if you have those, yeah. box of, of cereal, um, you often have three times what you're supposed to. Particularly with an adolescent boy whack. coming yeah. home after yeah, you, school, like 
my, so my son Charlie would eat about 10 servings after school. You know, that after school, like it becomes a snack. Yeah, and mine, mine used to come home and smash about, you know, 10 wheat bix each. Yeah. Yeah, so the wheat bix are actually quite a good choice because they don't have all of that added sugar. So they're a bit more like the porridge. They didn't think it was choice. a good choice, Dr. Caroline. They wanted <laughs> they something else. They probably just poured sugar on the top, <laughs> did they? They probably just got all that sugar. Yeah, yeah they did. They, they you're was, right. They raw go, sugar. Why do we have such boring cereal? I go to my friend's place. That's my story. Yeah. Kids were good. They got really, they got Fruit Loops. Yeah, and Fruit Loops. loops. <laughs> like poison. Yeah, exactly. Well, Nutrigrain similar. You know, Nutrigrain has always yeah. been marketed as being the food for athletes. It's a high sugar food. You know, wow. it's, it's really high sugar. It's just coated in sugar. And um, so kids eating those big bowls of those sugary cereals could be having, you know, 10, 15 spoons of sugar uh, easy, you know, with wow. each serve. Um, so it's, it's yeah, it's, I think that, you know, there's this um, writer called um, Michael Pollan who's, just written some fantastic books around food. So if anybody wants to sort of do a bit more reading, but he called a lot of those ultra processed foods, he calls them edible food-like substances. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> That's great, like drawings. <laughs> yeah. I, I always feel like... They're not quite food. They're not that. They taste a bit like food. You know? And it won't kill you if you eat it. It always feels like, it feels like sugar has done a really bad smear campaign on fat it feels like sugar is the trump of the food world. <laughs> <laughs> Try to make itself look better yeah. by going, hey, there's no fat in this. Yeah. yeah. Well, we've, we've, we've totally, I, I think that everybody became very kind of um, fat obsessed in, in terms of food content um, because it was felt that, you know, added fats in foods were the things that were really driving a lot of the trends in, in obesity globally. And so a lot of stuff started becoming fat-free or low fat. And, and the, the thing is that marketers are smart. They've got whole food labs just tweaking all, all your taste buds all the mm. time with what ingredients they can put in there. So they've started to add sugar to a lot of um, products that wasn't in there before to add to the, the taste, so sugar and salt. Um, and so a lot of foods are very high in sugar, even though they're supposedly um, low fat. So it hasn't really solved the problem. It's just shifted it to, to uh, a different one. But the bottom line is that the majority of people in the Western world are just gaining weight constantly. Even places like Africa where they didn't traditionally in South America have issues around expanding waistlines, they're all developing the same problems as us. Mm, wow, that's, in, that's incredible yeah. actually. My, my husband um, travels a lot for work and he has noticed over the years that he, he – used to work a lot in Japan and he goes to Japan a few times a year and he said he's starting to see even Japanese people get bigger than they used to be. You know, you you just well, that, you never saw an overweight Japanese person other no, than a, other no, than a sumo wrestler and they're actually not Japanese. <laughs> well, they've, you know, they've looked at some of the healthiest um, communities around the world and looked at the longest livers and there was one that was really in the – in the regional area of Japan, and they had um, very great longevity and was sort of like what's the secret of their success. And, and they felt it was around diet and exercise patterns and also a strong sense of community was important. But you're quite right, even places like Japan, and anybody that's been there in recent years will know this, they've got these sort of little supermarkets that have sprung up in all the cities. So mm. you walk, you know, 20, 20 paces, you're in another one, and they're just full of stuff in packets. Yes. Now, you know, it would be okay if it was beans and stuff that they traditionally ate, but increasingly they're shifting to all of this sort of stuff like chips and noodles and sweet foods um, 
and it's a it's a diet that was is very foreign to them. Um, yeah. And it's leading to a, a huge um, surge in the rates of diabetes type two um, and expanding waistline. So it doesn't matter where you live in the world if you change your environment and you start producing a lot more processed foods. Guess what? Everybody starts to gain weight. Wow, it's amazing, isn't it? Because it's you don't really realise the impact that sugar has had until you do that. What does it have? And we talked earlier in an earlier episode about the gut microbiome. And I'd love you yeah. to tell us a bit about how sugar and my impact on that and how and how the biome actually works in maintaining an immune system because it's, you know, our health and weight is so entwined um, with what goes on in our gut. Yeah, it, it's so true. So if we, if we look at things, um, you know, in terms of our gut and we look at things like macronutrients, so there's things like, you know, carbohydrates and proteins and fats, and then we look at sort of the breakdown of those nutrients and look at sort of the things that we add like sugar and salt, um, it's, it's going to sort of change the overall composition of food and that's going to affect the digestion of food. And sugar doesn't have any fibre in it. So foods that are often very sugary um, tend not to be sort of whole foods. Now, when we're talking about sugar, it's really important from the outset to, to distinguish between added sugar and sugar that naturally occurs. So okay. the thing that I find is a big misconception is I, I hear people often in gym say things like, oh, I've given up fruit because it's got all this sugar in it. And they think, you know, that's the bad sugar. Well, it's not. It's actually embedded in the food. It's included with the fiber and it's a healthy source of, of food and nutrients. Added sugar, so stuff that's been added to your food afterwards that isn't supposed to be there, is the stuff that's going to be particularly harmful to your health. And we, we know that if you have a food that's low in fiber and has a lot of these extra nutrients, it, it basically shifts your gut microbiome and not in a healthy way. So the more diversity you have, the more fiber you have, the more whole foods you have, the healthier your, your gut is in terms of the rainforest of microbes that exist in there. Does so, that make sense? Yeah. I- Are you talking about all those, all the things like acidophilus bifidus and all that sort of stuff, which was all very, yeah, look, it was all very big about 10 years ago, all over on the yogurts, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Look, and, and still there are certain great bacteria that are in natural yogurts. So there are lots of foods that naturally contain things. I think that what's happened is there's a lot of confusion about um, these add-ons and whether we should be taking um, extra supplements right. to add to our, our microbiome. Um, and at the moment, the jury's out on how you do that exactly. You know, you can't sort of take a pill easily or um, there's no supplement that we can take that we know shifts it. At the moment, we're really looking at diets and the types of food that we eat to, to permanently shift it. I think in the future it will all be different and we'll be able to take all sorts of things to help our gut microbiome, but um, it's early days in terms of what you can actually buy with supplements. I was really interested, Carolyn, at one of the conferences that that I attended that you were speaking at, and I can't remember who actually presented on the microbiome, but it was a really interesting and, you know, kind of fact, but basically looking at the average amount of bacteria we have in our our gut compared to, um, I think it was um, people that were living, you know, obviously on a very natural localised food source somewhere in the Amazon, and they had hundreds of thousands of different gut bacteria, and we had 
I don't kind of remember, it's like down to some people down to 20,000, 30,000. Um, mm. I guess yes. if that's what the process, you know, you're looking at that's the, is that the long-term impact of processed food and sprayed, you know, wheats and, you know, are we now looking at that as our our long term? We're becoming processed, Carol. <laughs> yeah, it feels yeah, yeah. Like. We're, we're depleting our forests, so we're sort of um, definitely with our choices of foods. Uh, we're we're actually affecting our guts, and by affecting our guts, we're affecting our immune system, our tendency towards probably the development of things like allergies, and certainly um, the interplay with how we recruit calories from food and gain weight. So. This is a new science in a way, um, and you're quite right, Mandy, with that, that sort of research that's been done looking at people that have grown up in different areas. Like in the West, it's, people are lucky if they even eat 30 grams of fibre a day, just to give you an example. So and, a lot of people only much, eat... how much should 10, we have? Well, we should have at least 30 grams of fibre a day. So that would mean sticking to that sort of a few pieces of fruit a day, having some full grains in our breads or our pastas, um, and eating vegetables, you'd, you'd, um, you'd nudge yourself up to that, that 30 grams of fibre. But in some communities in the world, they eat 300 grams. You know, in mm. some of these um, communities that, which eat a far more traditional diet in places like Africa, they're eating 10 times what, what we eat. So their gut microbiome looks quite different to ours. Mm. And there's a question around whether they've got a sort of more intact immune system with the, the increased diversity and the increased fibre. Because the other thing about fibre is that it also in, increases your chance of having these things called short-chain fatty acids, which we know help with immune regulation and we know reduce the possibility you'll get all of this inflammation in the body which drives a lot of the chronic disease we see in things like heart disease. So mm. our guts really matter. You know, it's sort of, they've been neglected. Like everybody was always a bit sort of, you know, gut phobic in the past. Nobody really wanted to talk about their bowels. And, and now it seems as though everybody does want to talk about Let's it. Let's get the bowels on the table. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get the bowels out in the open. I think it's great that we're talking about it because, you know, you know, it is it's kind so of. so interesting. I know because you actually know this, that, that this is the seat of your health. Yeah. The yeah, seat. Did you say the seat of your seat, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the, the stool. That's, that's right. That's right. Um, but we talked, we talked in the previous episode about, you know, some of these fad diets. And, you know, we talked about keto where a lot of people are having lots of fat in their diet and a bit more protein and, and very low fiber or very low carbs. And, you know, that may, may have, you know, short-term benefits for people lose weight. But the big question is what is it doing to your gut? Mm. You know, how is your gut managing this this shift? Um, and these are all questions that we can't answer right now, but a lot of the science community is really interested in it, this area. Yeah, so people, all those people should stay on the keto diet so that you scientists can, <laughs> can see. Have well, study. I mean, I love right. it how they go, right. well, this is how cavemen ate before pro Yeah, but cavemen only lived till they were about 21. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the paleo diet. So that's true and they often got taken out by things like infection and stuff and having that extra bit of um you know it, it was a completely different sort of um setup in those days and we also don't know exactly what paleo people did there's no, a lot don't. of kind of conjecture around that and we've sort of modified it to i went to a paleo dinner recently and we had paleo ice cream and i, I thought to myself well i'm pretty sure they didn't have freezers yeah um, exactly <laughs> 
that sounds like an absolute. But, you know, I, I would be. Wrong. be Maybe I would one's be. Going to be dug up. I would be busy on that night that, that I got invited be. to a yeah. paleo dinner but, party. But so yeah, it's one of those kind of like it's like the yeah, that would be a paleo <laughs> disaster. Yeah. Just going so hipster. You're going, this just this ice cream's made out of meat. <laughs> bone broth. It's frozen bone broth. Oh, everyone loves the bone broth where we live. Can't get enough of it. People lactate bone broth up here. <laughs> Even the vegans. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. Now, I guess the other thing is, um, you know, protein. That's that's the other big thing that a lot of people talk about when changing mm-hmm. their diet, don't they? You have to up your protein. Mm-hmm. I mean, how much should we be eating? Are we eating enough? And how do you get it as a – I struggle – All my five of my children have all become either vegetarian or vegan. Mm. And, and I've got a vegetarian son now too. Yeah. And I've noticed since he's only been it's a vegetarian hard. for a couple of months and – and he's angry because I think he's hungry. Yeah, and he's put Look, on I'm, weight, interestingly, because mm, he's starving. Mm. Look, I think the thing is that um, people with a vegan diet or vegetarian diet can still get plenty of protein. So there are plenty. Of, in fact, the vegan, we could learn a lot from that, the vegan, vegan and vegetarian models in that they essentially eat these plant-based foods and we should be, you know, generally eating a lot more of those foods. You can also get proteins from non-animal sources. So... You know, you can get it from your pulses and your beans. One thing I notice is nobody's eating enough beans. Like I ask people about their beans all the time and um, it's quite clear that most people are bean avoiders, you know, whereas yeah. wonderful source of fibre. What kind of beans protein. would you say? Like just kidney beans, chickpeas, all those sort of things? Any beans, yeah. Chickpeas, lentils, all of those things will be great for protein and for fibre. Um and, you know, get creative with them, add them to a salad. I used to do this with um, my um, bolognese. I eat very small amounts of meat, which I cook with a lot of tomato, but to try and put in some more pulses, I used to blend lentils and they become this sort of brown sludge. Sounds a bit gross, but you sort of mix it in with the bolognese and thicken it up with all these beans. And um, for a long time I fed my kids on that and they weren't any the wiser, although one time they came across one lentil, which I hadn't pulverized, <laughs> and they felt that I had um, betrayed their trust and that there became a, a whole issue about the lentil that was discovered in the bolognese. Well, I know yeah. I, made, I made a curry recently and I, I put chickpeas, you know, I made a chickpea vegetable <laughs> curry for my son and, you know, he ate it and then I said, oh, how did you like that? And he said, yeah, I'm not really a fan of the chickpea. And I said, you better become a fan, mate, because if you want to be a vegetarian, that's the type of food you're going to have to eat to have a healthy diet, you know. It's very easy for a young person to go, I'm a vegetarian now and and they're just eating chips, noodles, pasta, rice. Carbohydrates, all the carbohydrates, yeah. And it gets back to that thing they're often eating ultra processed food. Yes. You know? Yeah. It, just because you're vegetarian or vegan doesn't mean you're making great choices. And I'm um, getting back to your point on protein. Um, it is it, most people actually eat plenty of protein, and a lot of people eat probably more than they need. But you need sort of regular little bouts of protein um, for two two very important reasons. There are many more, but just two to touch on. One is that protein helps you you feel full. So it gives you that sense of um, satiety, you know, you feel satisfied after a meal, so you're less likely to then snack Snacking. straight away. Is that and because it, from, sorry, I've cut you off, but is that because it takes longer to digest? Is that why? Oh, it's, it's, it's also that it, it feeds, you know, you've got this interplay between your gut and your brain and they're both talking to each other about, oh, I've had enough, I haven't had enough. 
you've got all these pathways and basically the protein is signaling that, yeah, I've actually been satisfied by this. Okay. Um, and then the other, the other reason that it's great to eat a bit of protein is to maintain muscle. Um, now, with women, as we get older and men too, we start to gradually lose a tiny bit of muscle um, each year and each decade. And if we're having sort of regular little spurts of protein, um, which I say is, you know, let's put 20 grams, which to give you an idea would be if you had breakfast and had a, a serve of yogurt and, and a coffee and a couple of eggs, you'd be at your 20 grams. Or a small piece of fish or the palm of, palm of your hand size or a piece of chicken that's about that size. Um, even a little tin of tuna will be, and with something as a snack, would get you to 20 grams. So if you make sure that most of your, your meals actually have a little bit of protein in them, you won't feel as hungry um, and it's good for your muscles. Oh, that's right. great. They're great things for, for us to actually take back to our to our eating lives. They sure are. Thank that's you. actually a funny point because in one of our other podcasts, Mandy said how she she often will just have a tin of tuna as a snack with nothing else. She just opens it up like a little tin of cat food and laps away at it. And I was <laughs> I saying use a fork, Ellen. that it's I don't not lap away. <laughs> On its own, it's not a snack. You okay. need to put it with a salad, I, or you I need disagree. to. But she just eats it straight out of the tin, which I think is just she revolting, it's disgusting. And I, <laughs> I, I've actually bought a can today that I might crack into in a minute. It's actually just really good. I find if I eat that little bit of tuna, it's only the tiny one. It's a snack it's tuna. It's a, a snack tiny, tin. huge. But no, <laughs> no. <laughs> it's better than a muffin. It, it is. is better than a muffin. <laughs> Just yeah. don't eat it next to someone. <laughs> you do get bad breath after tuna. Yeah, tuna breath. Tuna. Thank you so much for chatting with us today, Caroline. My pleasure. We'll talk to you next week. See you later. Bye. Bye. You and your tuna. Oh, I know. I know you struggle <laughs> with it. But, you know, once you – it really does work, though, you know, to actually have that the little snack. That yeah. little snack. We are learning a lot, though, though Ellen. We are. I find all that stuff about your gut microbiome is that how you say you it do. i find that really fascinating and and it's obviously you know people like dr caroline um they're really looking into it a lot more aren't they like it's we huge. really know about it now it's why they call the gut the second brain yeah right um well, and big brain it's a big brain sometimes <laughs> it's, you know, i often did a joke when I, i've actually gone like if the gut is the second brain if you have a look at me you can see i am really clever <laughs> yeah. uh, and you know, but it is around how, how we process food, and it is because the amazing stuff they do around that of like trying to reseed the gut and do stuff like that, which is a whole other thing. But it's interesting because that's why you would need less processed food because your gut's better. If your gut's better, you clearly you're going to process yeah, what your you eat better because you know how you be go better. like your metabolism kind of goes slow yep. and all that yep. kind of stuff. What do you, you know, my of? my in laws who I who I used to make a lot of fun about they started eating like this maybe 20 years ago because my mother-in-law had really really bad arthritis and so she somehow found out I'm not sure I think I think they read a book called um good gut or something something really simple she found out that by cutting you know eliminating essentially processed foods but for her it was also um you know gluten especially she reduced all that inflammation in her body and and essentially cured herself of arthritis. Wow. And she used to drive me insane and, and still to some point is obsessed with her food and tells you everything in it. But seriously, they're both in their you 80s. You might become one of those people like that. Like you're going to become really <sighs> obsessed. Well, you kind of might actually, after this. You, she be... was right. I'm not going to tell her. 
Don't tell her she was I hope they don't listen to podcasts either. So that's our takeaways for this week. And I'm not talking about, you know, takeaways you get at the shops. It's that fibre is really important. Fibre is huge. That's a big one. Yeah. And your gut microbiome, that is huge. So you've got to think about that in, in really looking after that and building it as much as you can. And those portion sizes on your labels, you know, that's really interesting, isn't it? You know, only 50 calories and then there's, you know, seven portions in the thing. So lots to think about this week. That's Um, true. That was interesting. It was very interesting. And I have to say, setting the table, this podcast by women like us, is informed by the Australasian Society of Lifestyle Medicine. Tune in next week when we present another episode of Setting the Table where we chow down on some (laughs) of the kind of mythology and some of the facts around how to actually manage your weight and live a healthy life. See you next week. Bye. Bye. I think I'm hungry now, Ellen. I might go get that. <laughs> go get that tuna. That can of tuna out. I've got enough for you. You can go home too. <laughs> I'll brush my teeth. <laughs> Setting the Table is produced by women like us and informed by the Australasian Society of Lifestyle Medicine. As always, our original music is by Gian and Simon, so thank you for that. Don't forget to like us and rate us on places where you listen to your podcasts, like Apple Podcasts, where Spotify, else, Mandy? Spotify, you can listen to Spotify. Spotify, Podcast Republic, Google iTunes. Podcasts, iTunes, or you can just download it straight from Um, our podcast website. So thanks for listening and we will see you next week.